All right, good morning, guys. Welcome to Trailhead Church. My name is Steve. I am the lead pastor here, and uh, I want to thank you for um, joining us this morning. Uh, We are going to be finishing up our God Is sermon series this morning, uh, and we're going to be doing that by looking at Mark 5. So grab your Bibles, uh, open up to Mark 5. If um, you don't have a Bible, grab one off the floor around you, and uh, that will be page uh, 525 in our Bibles, but we're going to Mark 5. Now, while you're flipping over there, I want to mention a few important things. I, um, I dropped a, a pretty big hint last week that uh, there were some important developments um, in our search for a building, and uh, I am very glad to let you know that um, we did sign a contract, and uh, we are moving toward actually taking possession of, uh, of a building. It is a lodge that is right down the street. It is um, literally a quarter mile from here. Uh, it is right in the area we want to be and will equip us um, for really the next season of ministry, right? So here's the thing. We, we hope to have the keys in the next 30 days. We've got to go through the closing process. And then um, we have a window of time where we're, we're going to try to do all the renovation. In fact, um, we're going to try and get it all done within 90 days. Um, the build out of the kids' space and the renovation of the, of the meeting space and, um, and all that stuff. So here's the thing. Will you pray with us? Just keep praying, right? I mean, this has been really kind of a roller coaster journey to get to this point, and God has definitely intervened and provided um, in miraculous ways over the course of this process. So would you be praying that we really would get the keys within 30 days, that that process would not be extended, and that um, we're able to, to get this, uh, uh, this thing rehabbed and, and be able to get in there in the fall, okay? So keep praying, keep praying uh, about this process, and keep praying that ultimately God will use this building, um, not as an end result, but as a means to an end, right? This, this building is not, hey, we finally arrived, we get to be a church. We are the church, the living people of God, and, and this building is a vehicle through which we hope to expand our ministry and our reach in this community to bless people with the, the power of the gospel. All right. Um, the second important thing, happy Mother's Day. All right. Everybody in here is either a mother or had a mother. So happy Mother's Day to you. Um, it is a complex day, and I admit that up front. Um, few things bring us greater joy. Few things bring us greater pain than um, intimate family relationships. And I'm aware of that. And, um, and so what I want to do to kind of commemorate this is read a liturgy that was written by a blogger named Amy Young. I adapted it uh, last year. I've modified it a little bit more for this year. But, but I just appreciate the sentiments and, and the ability it gives me to help celebrate with you this day. So I'm going to read this to you. To those who gave birth this year to their first or next child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badges of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experienced loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment. We walk with you, even though often imperfectly. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those of you who are walking the path of parenthood alone for whatever reason, we are amazed by you, and we walk with you. 
To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year or in years past, we honor your grief. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, our hearts hurt for your experience. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we are touched by your loneliness and want to walk with you in it. To those who step-parent, foster-parent, or adopt, we are thankful for you and we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who placed children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. To those of you who have had an abortion, we share grace with you. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expectant or surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst and we remember you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are the giver of good gifts, and one of the greatest gifts you give us is family, the tightest unit of community where we are known and, and we know we are loved and we love, and, and we have many of our deepest needs met in that place. Um, it awakens our heart to desires for so much more, and yet many of our deepest wounds also come from that place because we are broken. So Father, I thank you for grace, that you are ultimately the great Father, that you are the one who ultimately is the great Mother, that you are the one who models for us what it means to give birth, nurture life, bring to maturity, and bless. So we thank you that in all of this we celebrate you. We pray your blessing on this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys. Let's take a look at our text. We are in Mark 5. We are looking at verses 1 through 20. (laughs) An interesting story. All right, here we go. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. And he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out into the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter into them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city. And in the country, 
And people came to see what it was that had happened, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged begged him that he might be with him. But he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled the word of the Lord. All right, today we get to wrap up our God Is series, um, and we've been looking at, at four simple but truly profound truths about God. It may seem like a strange passage for us to wrap this series up. It is. Uh, In fact, it's just a strange passage. Okay, let's just admit that up front. This is a very strange story, uh, but it is a very compelling story. At the end of chapter 4, Mark 4, just before the part we read, Jesus had been in a boat with his disciples crossing over the Sea of Galilee. He was sleeping in the bow when a storm rose up, And I can't think of anything more terrifying than being on an open sea in the darkness of night when a huge storm comes up, like what often happened on the Sea of Galilee. You have water washing over the side of the boat. You can't see anything. That is a terrifying scene to me. The disciples were like, Jesus, don't you care if we perish? And he comes out, kind of yawns a little bit, and he's like, all right, stop it. And the winds die down, and the water grows calm, and it says that the disciples were filled with fear. (laughs) Not surprisingly right? They were terrified of the storm. They were more terrified of the man who could actually speak a word and control the storm. They arrive the next morning. I'm sure they're pretty disheveled. They're probably exhausted. And they arrive in a cemetery in a Gentile land filled with pig farmers. And they start interacting with a crazy guy who's tormented by demons. There's nothing here that would put a Jewish man at ease, right? (laughs) Now, now, These disciples, they don't take much role here, but they're watching, and that's kind of the role we get to take. We get to watch what unfolds here as as unusual as it might be, right? This man that's at the center of the story um, is is very... um, is, is quite the character, right? He's a guy that abuses others. He physically abuses others to the point that nobody can come near him. And, and so they've kind of cast him out of the city into this area of the tombs. And, and there he, he basically passes his time by wounding himself. He picks up rocks and, and he cuts himself. He is just wailing and crying out in his torment, right? You can't get a much more compelling picture of a tormented soul. So Jesus speaks a word just like he did to the storm, and delivers him. Now, here's the thing, you guys. In this passage, we see Jesus to be everything we've talked about what God is over the last month, right? We've talked about how God is great, so we don't have to be in control. In this passage, we see Jesus is great. He can speak a word to the storm. He can speak a word to a legion of demons, right? He he can be great. Um and we can rest in His power and authority. We've learned that God is gracious. And because God is gracious, we don't have to hide. We don't have to prove ourselves. And in this passage, we see Jesus as gracious, reaching out to a man who had been marginalized by society, devalued by everyone to the point where they just hoped he would disappear or die. And he shows up and reaches out to them 
and clothes him with dignity. We learn that God is glorious so we don't have to build our own kingdoms or be afraid of how people will rob us of glory. We don't have to be afraid of what people think. And in this passage, we see Jesus as glorious, right? He invites this poor man and, in fact, the entire community into the glory of a new kingdom that has a whole new set of values that values life over money and dignity over success. We looked at how God is good, and because God is good, we don't have to find satisfaction outside of Him. We, we can find our satisfaction in Him. And in this passage, we see Jesus showing Himself to be good. In fact, it's a compelling image as the man, once healed, is sitting, feasting on the goodness of Jesus' love, calm and in His right mind. So we see in this passage everything we've been talking about in relation to God on display in Jesus, and it's amazing. And here's where I want to go. I think we can see ourselves in the different responses of the people in this story. It is a compelling look at how we are changed as we come to trust in who God is. So let's take a look at these different things. First of all, think about the crowd. The crowd came after the herdsmen um, were alarmed. The, 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 the pigs, 2,000 swine feeding on the hillside, represents a pretty significant capital investment for a pig farmer, right? That's a lot of money sitting on the hillside. And the herdsman, who's supposed to be caring for them, watches Jesus speak a word, and suddenly that entire investment runs down the hillside and perishes in the sea, right? So he runs to the city, and he comes back. And the people show up, and they're not filled with wonder. They're filled with fear, Right? They don't don't focus on the man who had been healed. They look at the money that they had lost and how the presence of Jesus threatens their significance, threatens their kingdoms, threatens their identity of what makes them valuable or important or their security. And so they end up begging Jesus to leave, right? And leave fast, right? In them, we see a level of self-protection, So they focus on protecting themselves, and and we see them using others, not valuing others, but using others to build their own kingdoms, right? They don't wonder at the man's healing. They're bewildered at their loss of income. They're probably very nice people, as long as their position of privilege isn't threatened, as long as their idea of how the world is supposed to be, their idea of what security is, what makes them important isn't threatened, and Jesus threatens their status quo. They are ultimately scared of the kingdom inversion that Jesus brings, right? Jesus brings in a glorious kingdom in which God's glory is the center, where the sick are healed and the unlovely are loved, where money is not a God to be worshiped, but a gift to be stewarded for our good and God's glory. And in his kingdom, people are valued more than money. And God's glory is more valuable than our success and personal comfort. And Jesus comes in, and that kingdom inversion of of valuing the dignity of a a lost soul is more important than the the capital investment of an entire uh, flock. I don't know, what do you call pigs? Flock? Herd? Herd? Gathering? Yes. All right. Pigs. Lots of pigs. Um, Jesus' glory threatens their glory. 
his greatness threatens their sense of staying in control. And so as a result, they're afraid of Jesus and they reject his presence. They're afraid of Jesus and they reject his presence. They reject him because he did this incredible thing. So they tell him to go away. They choose their kingdom over his kingdom, their glory over his glory. And this is the first way we can respond to the four truths that we've taken a look at, the, the, the essence of who God is. We can see it as a threat and push it away. Or we don't trust Jesus, we trust ourselves. We don't lean into what God is and we lean into who we are or who we want to be instead. It's a tragic response. Then there's the demoniac. The demoniac... Um, is this is an incredible picture, right? In the beginning of the story, he is terrifying and sad. The kind of guy you don't want to meet, right? Not the kind of guy you want to end up in a dark alley with, right? But also the kind of guy that breaks your heart as you see the torment in his soul. He is out of, out of his mind with rage. There's so much pain and so much anger that he attacks anyone who comes near him. And when people aren't near, he picks up rocks so that he can attack himself, He is destructive to himself. He is destructive to others. In his pain, he is absolutely tormented. And the Bible tells us that that we are here dealing with not just with somebody who is mentally ill, but somebody who is actually tortured by demons, right? Now, here's the thing. If we knew his full story, which we don't, if we did, I bet you we would discover a history of neglect and abuse, that we would discover a pattern of behavior in his childhood and early adult years that led him to a place where he was vulnerable and hurt and broken and and open to this kind of, of, of torment. And as tormented as he is, his first words to Jesus were, leave me alone, don't hurt me more. Don't torment me. He is scared of increased pain. Now, it's hard to tell who's speaking in these verses, right? Because, because the man, we, we realize, is indwelt by demons, and, and these demons have control over him. But ultimately, I think as he speaks, it is, in fact, both. They speak, but they're speaking through his pain. They voice his inner torment. Jesus comes in greatness with power, and he responds with fear. See, we look at him and we say, man, what a, what a miserable existence this guy had. But what I want you to see is, is that as miserable as his existence was, his anger toward others and his self-destructive behavior toward himself were his coping mechanisms. That's how he dealt with his pain. That's how he gave himself a sense of control. And Jesus came and threatened his sense of control. And what's interesting to me is, is that he appealed to God as he appeals to Jesus. Right? He says, I adjure you by God, Jesus, don't torment me. And if we can take this as the man speaking, which I believe that it is, that it is at least the demons speaking through the man's faculties, we see both fear and faith. There is distrust and fear, but there is a seed of faith. He senses that Jesus can radically change his life, and it terrifies him. And it causes him to appeal to God. He comes to Jesus and and says, I'm calling out to God, don't hurt me. Don't make it worse. And Jesus does what only Jesus can do. He is great enough to expel the demons and gracious enough to honor the man's request. 
And this is the second way we can respond to who God is as we look at His character to long for but also fear God's presence. To long for but also fear the work of His deliverance in our lives. We are in pain and we're afraid that God will increase our pain. But we see the man, while full of self-protection, beginning the path of vulnerability with God. Now, after Jesus cast the demons out of the man and, the, and they ran the pigs off the hillside, the next time we see the man, he is totally different. Now, we don't know exactly where he's sitting, right? Because Mark is a, a really tight storyteller and we don't get a lot of details, but, but I can guarantee you he's probably near Jesus, right? It does tell us that he is clothed and in his right mind. Mm-hmm. What an incredible transformation. He was driven by pain to lash out at others and hurt himself, and now he is peaceful within himself and pretty much unaware of others. All he sees is Jesus. Jesus fills his vision. So he is at peace with himself and unaware of others. He is so consumed with the wonder of what has taken place that he is just basking in and feeding on the love of Jesus. He is possibly for the first time in his life not worried about others, not angry at others, not jealous of others. He is not attacking himself. He is clothed and in his right mind. He has tasted grace and it has removed the nakedness of his shame and his resentment of others, which means that he is now secure and safe. That's why we see him sitting in such peacefulness, right? It is because God's grace has made a safe place for him. He is accepted. He is loved. He is known. He's not defined by what he's done, nor is he defined by what has been done to him. He is defined by Jesus' words over him. He is clothed in a dignity that is not his own. He is no longer driven by the pain. He is instead drawn in by the love. So we see him resting in Jesus' love for him. He isn't worried about who he, he was. He isn't worried about what he's done. He isn't fixated on what's been done to him. His mind is not in turmoil about his past. His mind is not tortured by his pain. He has tasted grace and it has given him rest. So we see here a third way that we respond to these truths of of who God is, right? When we grab them, when we internalize them, when we believe them and keep believing them and move deeper into that faith, when we make them our own, they bring the balm to our pain and the freedom to our past. But Jesus isn't done with this guy yet, right? He, he delivered him, and now he sends him. It's a powerful contrast to the crowds at the end of this story, right? At the end, the crowd is begging him to leave, right? Get out before you kill any more of our pigs, right? Before you cost us any more money, right? Leave, right? He is begging for the right to stay with him. He's begging, can I just please stay with you? And Jesus, which he never ceases to do, surprises us again. And he looks at this man who has just been delivered, who has like a newborn child in his presence, basking in his love. And he says, no, you don't get to go with me. He doesn't say, sure, stay with me. He says, no, go in my name. 
So we see this man as at the end of the story, right? He is delivered by God's greatness. He is a trophy of God's glory. He is basking in God's gracious heart and clothed in the dignity of grace. And he is feasting on God's goodness, right? Great, good, glorious, gracious. And he is being told, go and tell others about it. A man who couldn't stand anyone else's company, a man who couldn't even stand his own company, is now being sent out by Jesus into the company of others to become a witness of who Jesus is and what he's done and invite others to believe. He is humbled because of his history, and he is confident because of Christ's love to tell others about it. So he is called to be a humble, confident witness of God's greatness and His grace and His glory and His goodness. And Jesus is saying, you've tasted my goodness, now go invite others to it. Help others to taste the freedom that you have tasted. Share your story. Be humble and tell of your shame. But be confident because that shame is no longer yours and it doesn't define you. You are no longer defined by what you've done or what's been done to you. Rest in who I am and be free. Now, can you imagine how this made him feel? Right? We're at the end. Mark, again, is a very tight storyteller. He doesn't give us a lot of details that aren't essential to the narrative. But we can guess that this made him feel pretty uncomfortable and off balance. Don't you think? Like, he's just come out of this thing. And Jesus is like, now go tell others about it. Right? I am sure there were doubts. I'm sure that he had to grow into the confidence of the gospel. I'm sure there were thoughts in the back of his head. Do you know where I came from? Do you know all the people I hurt there? Do you know all the people who hurt me there? This had to be hard. But Jesus knew it would be good for him, that as he stepped out in faith, it would strengthen his faith. Here's the thing, you guys. We believe God will tell a better story for our lives than we would tell for ourselves. That God will write a better narrative for our lives than we would write for ourselves. And the new story that Jesus is telling for this man is that you're not the person you used to be. You're not defined by that anymore. You are now covered in my dignity. Now go in that dignity and call others to faith in it. And as he did, he went deeper in his faith. See, it was good to experience the freedom of joy and love at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus wanted him to experience the freedom of that love in the presence of others even people he had hurt, even people who had hurt him. And that required him to grow in faith. It required him to fight his doubt with his faith, right? He had to believe that Jesus' words were true, even when his heart wanted to lie to him. I mean, you know the lies he believed before Jesus set him free, right? And those lies were encroaching, I have no doubt, encroaching on his mind like a, like a growing darkness. And he had to fight that darkness with the light of truth, right? He had to remind himself, Jesus is great. 
so I can rest. I don't have to be in control. I don't know what's going to happen, but he does, right? Jesus is gracious, so I don't have to hide. When people look at me and, and they run from me, when they realize who I was, I don't have to hide. I don't have to prove myself because I'm covered in his dignity. Jesus is glorious, so I don't have to build my own kingdom or rely on my own reputation. I don't have to be afraid of what people think of me because all that matters is that his glory covers me. Jesus is good. So my soul can be satisfied in his love, deeply filled with his presence. See, I know it had to be hard, but he did it. The end of the passage tells us that he went back to the Decapolis and he told He told. And everyone, it says, everyone wondered. See, there's no greater apologetic for the gospel than a life changed by the gospel. There's no greater proof of the love of God than someone who has tasted deeply of the love of God and then moves out in the humble confidence of that love to invite others to the feast. So we see a fourth way of responding. Believing and pushing deeper in that belief. Letting these truths absolutely transform the way you see yourself and the way you see others and the way you interact with the world. Now, it'd be very, very cool if this were the paths that our lives took. You know what I'm saying? Like that each of these stages passed by seamlessly. You know what I'm saying? Like, like as if the Christian life would be linear, that's just a, just a progressive line of upward joy, greater freedom, right? I was here and now I'm here and I'm going, right? As if I was rounding the bases. Use a baseball metaphor. Baseball crazy people around here, right? You round first, you're heading to second. You never have to think about first again, right? Home plate is absolute freedom and here I come, right? I pass first and I'm on my way. Hmm. That's not the way it works though, is it? Because the Christian life isn't linear, it's cyclical. We pass first base and we're heading to second and we realize there's a part of us that hasn't even hit the ball yet. There's a part of us that hadn't even left home plate yet. We grow in some areas only to discover that we haven't grown as much in other areas as we thought we did. And God in His grace allows us to grow in some areas and be completely unmindful or ignorant of other areas until He wants to bring them to light and say, now it's time to grow in these areas too. Two weeks ago, um, I had the great privilege of going down to North Carolina to hang out with a group of pastors at a leadership collective. Um, it, was, it was really a privilege. The elders have made it possible for me to go down and be part of these groups, and, and man, it's been a real blessing. I got to sit down with a leadership coach named John Hawkins, not a guy that you're likely to hear about. He hasn't written any books, but he pastors pastors. He just leads leaders, and, and he cares for them. And, and, and that's honestly where a lot of this message today came from, is I've just been sitting in. He, he took this passage and opened it up with us and, and, and invited us to see ourselves in it, right? He, he asked us, where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself in the crowd? Do you see yourself in the demoniac? Do you see yourself in the healed man? Or do you see yourself in the, in the sent man? And I was like, you know, my first brush was, well, I used to be the crowd before I became a believer. I, I remember that stage where I, I didn't trust Jesus and I didn't trust the church and I was running. But man, I remember when I became a believer, I was like the demoniac. The, the gospel came in and it was a radical transformation in my, in my life. It's one, it is my favorite story. Uh, 
um, when I was 17, I became a believer, man, and, and, the, and the grace of God just broke into my life like a blinding light. It was, it was beautiful, right? And then I remember sitting at the feet of Jesus and being absolutely consumed with his presence and, and devouring his word and, and growing in my faith and, and growing to a point where I was, I was compelled to be sent, right? And, and there's been multiple sendings in my life. Um, obviously, the most notable now is, is to come out here and plant Trailhead Church, which has been one of the greatest blessings of my life. But as I was sitting there, I realized there was a part of me that was still like the demoniac. There was a part of me that was still hurting and closed off. And, and I was still, there was a piece of me that was still crying out, don't torment me. Don't make me deal with that. Don't make me go there. Don't, don't make me open that door. For all my growth and all the other areas, I could see, man, there are still areas where I don't trust God. And very specifically, the Spirit showed me there was an area of my heart that I was protecting. And I would fight to keep people out of it. I would alienate them, keep them at arm's length, even become hostile if I felt like people were getting too close. And meanwhile, behind that door, I was abusing myself. I was hurting myself, attacking myself. I was afraid. And I was saying to Jesus, don't torment me. Don't take me there. How crazy is that, you guys? To look at Jesus and say, don't torment me. The one who was tormented for me the one who, under no obligation of his absolute free will, lived the life I should have lived and died the death I deserved to die, the one who took my shame and my guilt, the one who was nailed to that cross and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not because he had done anything, but because I had. He who knew no sin became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in him. How crazy is it that I would not trust him, <laughs> right? But I saw that I didn't. I saw there was a piece of me that looked at him and said, I adjure you by God, don't torment me. Now, when I saw it, then the light could come in and I could say, man, I'm still a mess. I've still got a lot of brokenness, and I trust you, but I need to trust you more. There are areas where I need to continue to move into freedom. And that's what I meant when I said the Christian life, growth is cyclical, not linear. There's this sense in which we are delivered by the beauty of the gospel, and we rediscover and again are delivered by the beauty of the gospel. And there have been seasons in my life where that was dramatic, and it came in very much like the demoniac in our story, where Jesus basically showed up and said, it's over it's done. And the light came in and the darkness was dispelled. And there have been other seasons in my life where it took just a painfully long time. Where God's purpose in that wasn't to dispel it quickly, but to allow it to sit for a little while because he had a sanctifying purpose for it in my life. Where he was allowing me to struggle because that struggle was going to help me to grow in some way. Maybe I couldn't see or understand. But in his goodness, he was committed to my growth and my blessing more than I was for myself. And in that, there have been seasons where I have desperately needed the help of others. In fact, that's all seasons. <laughs> that's called community, right? We are called to be part of the church, which is the people of God, 
right? We were never called to follow Jesus on our own. We were called to be part of a body where we're intimately connected to others, where we open up and let them see us and know us and love us. And, 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 and we become vulnerable, not just transparent, right? We don't just let people see us. We let them touch us, right? Being transparent is like, well, look, you can see, but don't you dare touch, right? Vulnerable is allowing you to actually come in and be part of my life and interact with me and help me grow. But there have been seasons where I've needed people um, who just had a little bit more skill, specifically in the areas in which I had been wounded. Specifically, I needed counselors. Somebody who would sit down with me and, and help unpack the woundedness of my soul and how twisted and broken those lies had become that had become ingrained in my way of thinking that were continuing to influence me and control me, leading me to pull back from Jesus and, and, and alienate others and hurt myself. I don't know where you are in this path. I don't know where you are in these four stages. But I am thankful that if you are in a spot where you need godly, biblical, gospel-centered counseling, you can get it. We have a tremendous resource in our area called Karis House. Um, Karis House is a ministry that is committed to offering affordable counseling to anyone who needs it. They've never turned anyone away because they couldn't afford the counseling fees. Um, as a result, they have been heavily subsidized primarily by The Journey, which is a church in St. Louis where I was sent out from. Trailhead is a daughter church of The Journey, um, but also other churches in the area as they continue to serve. And, and what I want to do, we're going to be taking a special offering. I, I announced this um, over the last couple of weeks. We're going to be taking a special offering, and a portion of that is going to go to, um, in fact, the lion's share. It's going to be going to Karis House. And so I'm going to invite my, my good friend, uh, uh, Joel Greiner. Um, Joel is the director of Karis House Ministry. He's the founder. And um, I'm going to invite him up. We're going to talk a little bit because what I would like for him to do is uh, unpack a little bit um, about this ministry and um, give us some insight into it. Hey, Joel. Hey, Steve. <laughs> Your voice sounds better back there. Does it? It does. <laughs> Welcome to Behind the Speakers. Uh, you remember when we first met? I do. I do. We met in a membership class, didn't we? We did. No, community group. Did we meet in community we group first? Community group. Yeah. Wow. Steve was a skater back then. I, I was. He still does that. I still had my mullet. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. We used to sit on a couch. Yeah, bring those up, you guys. Um, we used to sit on a couch down in the Vox Lounge and go through our membership class. Uh, Joel and I have a rich history. We, we became friends. This would have been 2005. Um, we were both just going through the membership class at The Journey and um, had no idea how much our lives would become intertwined. Thank you. Might be a little bit more comfortable for a conversation. Um, I'll let you guys in on a little bit. I mean, Joel and I have a rich history. There's a lot that goes into that. Um, we became friends. We, we worked together on staff at The Journey. Um, but honestly, there came a point in my life. It was, it was probably one of the lowest points in my entire life. Um, 2008, I hit a wall. I mean, I hit a wall. There were things in my background that I didn't know how to process, and they were resurfacing how much to my dismay, I did my best to absolutely keep that door shut. And Jesus was like, I'm kicking this door in right now. You are going to deal with this. You are going there. And I was knocked sideways 
I had never, I didn't know how to deal with depression. I didn't know how to process any of this stuff. And I just knew Joel was a good friend. And so I went and knocked on his door. I don't even remember what time it was. Um, Intruded on his family. Sat on his couch, wailed a little bit, cried a little bit. um, Said a few inappropriate things. And he loved me in the mess. And um, he's the first one that actually connected me with counseling. He he connected me with a a Christian counselor. And uh, that season for me was absolutely transformative, absolutely transformative. And, and looking back, I can see, all right, God was kicking in that door because he was actually getting ready to send me out to plant a church. And, and, and there were some things I needed to deal with. There were things I had to get in there and unpack. And, and uh, I'm incredibly thankful for his friendship and the opportunity we had getting into that. So I'm going to have him just talk a little bit about Karis House and, and the ministry over there. Um, at Karis House, you guys bring the gospel of grace into very broken very sinful lives. Can you give us a picture of what that looks like? I can, but I have to brag on you for just a second. <laughs> I mean, the, the irony of God's goodness and grace is that Steve ministered to me in that same year in really profound ways. I mean, <clears throat> I was asking this question the other day to some people I was ministering to. I said, can you think of a few moments in your life where someone has just given you grace? And, and it, like, when you think of grace, like it goes back to some of those moments. And around the same time, 2008, 2009, at a very dark period, Steve was a great friend to me, and he brought the gospel in, in our friendship in ways that I hadn't experienced before. So, um, you know, you, <laughs> you paid it forward, I guess, yeah. and, and brought that same uh, kindness into my life. So I wanted to thank you, and, yeah. and I do see you as a good friend. So, Karis House. Man love done. All right. Yes. <laughs> Should we just talk right now? Uh, right. side hug. There we go. Dot com. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Let me. Sorry, you guys. We have this. You know, yeah. Usually, we'll try not to derail this. We laugh more than anything, so just keep it going. <laughs> okay. So the question was how Karis House and the gospel kind of plays, uh, how they play out, or how the gospel plays out in that context. So, I guess first I would say that all of our counselors know Jesus, and um, that changes the way that we do work with people. Um, we come in with a premise that every one of us is broken and wounded. And in fact, most of us who get into this world, into counseling, have a lot of brokenness in our stories and have experienced the healing uh, and, and freedom of the gospel. And so our hope is always that, above all else, uh, that the grace of the gospel um, is actually a part of that conversation as we minister to people. Um, so we usually start off when people are in a very... Uh, difficult place. They may be very angry. They may be very hurt. Uh, They may have abuse in their life that has just recently surfaced in another relationship. Uh, Marriages that are just kind of, we don't have anything else to do. We don't know what else to do. So we probably need to talk to somebody. And so we come at this place of, okay, let's, let's take a picture. Let's take a snapshot. Let's get a, get a read on what's happening right now. What is it that you're believing? What is it that you're feeling? What are you experiencing? And so a lot of the beginning stages of our work with people are very incarnational. And by that, I mean it's sitting and listening and it's tears. And um, for many people, it's it's one of the first times they've experienced a a rest, like a restful relationship where they don't have to earn Mm -hmm. favor or um, don't have to earn attention. It's part of the relationship is listening. And so a lot of our work at the beginning stages is just listening and asking questions and trying to, as Steve says, unpack 
yeah. um, stories. Um, and so a lot of times, as you know, Steve talked about the demoniac today, a lot of times we're coming in when someone is in a very tortured place. Um, they're not experiencing God's grace. They're not experiencing the depth, uh, richness of relationships. And so they don't know what else to do. Um, and so they oftentimes step on our doors in that place. Uh, and it's always our hope every time. Um, to meet them with both the good news, the proclamation of the gospel, but uh, I think more importantly in these situations, just the incarnation or the just the presence of the gospel. And so that's yeah. a lot of the work that we do is just sitting with people and bringing the gospel to bear. Yeah, last week we, we showed one of your videos, um, and uh, he, the young man was talking about how he had moved into counseling at, at Kara's house. And I think probably the most moving part in that video for me was when he talked about how he looked up at one point and Eric, his counselor, was, was weeping with him, you know, just, just crying, just sitting in it with him. And um, that amazes me, um, that kind of people that can, um, I mean, honestly, counselors amaze me, the, their ability to sit in that kind of pain and discomfort and not close off and not to self-protect and not to become numb. Um, you guys are weird. Yeah, we are. That's true. <laughs> and we're not always that way. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> but just, I mean, just to reflect on what Steve just said, just recently I started meeting with a, a guy uh, in his 30s and um, really wasn't sure why we were meeting. He was really unclear about what was going on in his story. But then at some point he just confessed, I struggle with pornography. It wasn't expected. It wasn't, um, I wasn't provoking or asking him. It just kind of came out. And I met him in that moment where he, what he expected was judgment and what he expected was uh, to be told what he needs to be doing and to pick himself up and to grab his bootstraps and to get right with God. Um, but what I met him with was, that sounds terrible. Um, that sounds so awful to be tormented in that way. Because as he told his story, his parents discovered him with pornography at a young age and just shamed him to death. Um, the shame was profound, and so his thought was, as soon as I reveal this sin or this struggle, I'm just going to get lambasted by law. Um, and my, you know, I had to pray in that moment because there's a part of me that wanted to bring the law and wanted to do the same thing his parents did. But then it was this reminder of, you need the same gospel, you need the same good news that he needs right in this moment. Um, and so those moments can be pretty profound when someone is feeling the condemnation of law, um, but then can be freed by in a relationship through grace. Yeah. You know, we talked about the, the four different groups that kind of looking through this passage. And um, we talk about the sent person, um, a person that is freed from sin and guilt and shame. Um, what difference does that make in the world? Yeah, as, as you guys know, because you're humans, there's parts of you that are just locked up. Um, and to he even hear the word freedom, like to just get teased with that word, uh, you know, it can awaken something in you, and then immediately you may become cynical and say, no, no one can actually get freed. Uh, but we've seen it, and we see it, and it does make a difference. So rather than me kind of proliferating uh, about what that looks like, we actually have brought a video of, of another uh, woman that we've worked with at Karis House just recently who, um, just a remarkable story, it really speaks for itself, but the way that her life is changing and the way that she is ministering now from a place of freedom and from a place of forgiveness is remarkable. So I'll let Andy's story uh, kind of speak for itself, uh, but this is a woman we've recently been working with. I never wanted to kiss him. 
I never wanted those rough hands to make me understand what it means to let go of childhood dreams and fantasies in exchange for an overload of pornography that landed me on the far end of the spectrum. I didn't bother to say no. A part of me was intrigued by the attention while the other part was confused that he didn't mention his wife. The one who agreed to become one flesh with him for the remainder of his life in spite of his mannish ways that shook the core of an eight-year-old girl's soul. In the absence of his family, he led me to a back room that led to more back rooms in the crevices of a life that escaped innocence too soon. This was the beginning of secrecy. If only he knew what it did to me. All of his requests allowed the building blocks of darkness to build homes in my mind. My flower beds turned to weeds, my wants turned to needs, my cries turned to screams inside of me. But on the outside, everything appeared just fine. I don't remember dinner. I don't remember nightfall. I don't remember much of what happened inside those four walls, but every chance he got, he gave me a hint. His trips past the couch that cradled my sleeping body to touch what didn't belong to him. His ability to fill me up in a crowded room and nobody even know what's wrong with him. Yet another mister turned the color of purple from sweet to sour. His introduction to seduction conveniently erupts in my volcano of sin, giving in to its power 1,250 degrees, 1,250 of these. Sleepless nights I lay, loneliness I pray that God would take the sin I'm in and make it okay. But he didn't. He continuously allowed the role of my path to unfold before me, hopping on again, off again, when I felt myself hungry, hungry for the top floor of the stairwell in my school, where I met Marks, Joes, Johns, and Drews. I was fooled, fooled into thinking that that was love, trying to fill the void of what I was in desperate need of. God, can't you see I'm hurting? Can't you see I need to feel something? And that's when I saw her, her who seemed to be the answer to my prayers. The aura of my brokenness immediately attracted to her eyes hopelessness, caught off guard with feelings I didn't know I had. Failing to link the demons in my past, I felt safe with her. I was her girl. She was my world. There was a ring that overshadowed the rings that lie buried in the hands of Christ. I wanted to be her wife, and I would make the sacrifice of eternal life in exchange for hell, as long as I was with her. And when she failed, as humans fail, I found my hope at the bottom of a pill bottle. But then I rose again, as Christ did when he died for my sins. That was better than hope. That was a promise. A promise that he would one day rescue me out of this darkness, but that still didn't stop me. My temporary lapse in judgment to end my life reoccurred over and over again for the next 10 years, caught up in sin with men and women and women and men until I accepted the offer to follow him. Which brings me to today, here, now, to tell you that you no longer have to be proud and if you have any doubt that God can bring you out, let me be the example. I was wounded, broken, Still have the tendency to think the unspoken, but I'm an imperfect person serving a perfect God. That's the difference. So if you can, and if you're willing, please know that the gospel is not a feeling. It's a history based on facts that God can, God will, God has.
And if you accept him, you'll be able to look back on your past and say that God did. Do you accept the offer? Holy cow. We can clap. That's heavy. That's heavy. So Andy is a was a was a counselee at Karis House. Yeah, Andy uh, came out of a session one day. I didn't even know her, and her counselor said, "Hey, she really wants to tell her story." And I'm like, "Who's she? And what's the story?" And so she introduced me to Andy. And um, first it was, "Hey, would you be willing to share it with a few people?" And then it was, "Hey, I've been rescued and redeemed, and I want whatever platform you want to share that." story of abuse of same-sex relationships of attempting suicide like i'm i've been freed and i'm being freed and so i want that to be shared that's incredible yeah what a powerful glimpse into the lives you know talk a little bit about your partnership with local churches specifically trailhead yeah so trailhead is our favorite church That's right. <laughs> actually, actually, we have, outside of the journey, the trailhead, trailhead has been the church we have most worked with. We've seen the most of your people. Um, and so <laughs> Steve right. just laughs. <laughs> we, we laugh, but we do consider it a huge privilege. I mean, we, when we look at the ministry that God has called us to, we see a lot of trophies from this congregation, a lot of people whose lives have been changed by the gospel. So it is, it is a privilege. Um, but we have worked, uh, we do work with a lot of folks from other churches outside of the journey. We also have a good portion of our folks who have no church affiliation, um, who are not believers and who come in, um, just desperately needy to talk to someone. Uh, And so for many people, they don't walk into the doors of a church. They walk into the doors of a counseling ministry or counseling center. And so we consider that again, just a great privilege to, meet people at times um, for the first time uh, with uh, the freedom of Jesus. So we work with churches. We work with a lot of folks from the journey and then um, from folks in the community as well. Awesome. Are there ways that Trailhead people can be involved in gospel-centered counseling ministry at Karis House? What does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we have a, a staff of professional counselors, but we also are desperately in need of training lay people to be involved in this type of ministry. So this has taken different um, different faces in the past. We've Some of you have been through redemption groups, so that's one of the places um, that we've seen this type of ministry play out. Um, some of you have been trained uh, to be lay counselors um, in the church, and I would encourage you, like, if this is something that really tugs at your heart, you want to be involved in this sort of, like, going deep, talking about difficult things with people, um, but also bringing the gospel to bear and bringing your life to bear, uh, in the in the story of someone else, um, we do periodic trainings. We'll 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 be doing a conference this summer in August. Um, we'll be getting you, we'll get you guys more information as we lay out the exact agenda and dates. Um, but if that's something, if you'd like to just know a little bit more about like how do we do this type of ministry in the context of hurting people's lives, that would be a great place for you to kind of learn and get equipped a little bit more. The conference will be kind of centered on caregiving. So how to, how to provide care and the gospel uh, in people's lives. Um, another way would be to give. That's part of what you guys are doing today. Um, but, you know, every session that we do, almost every session that we do costs us money. We're not ever actually <laughs> even breaking even. Um, so a lot of what we do is, is subsidized by the journey. But what we're doing is really trying to get other people, churches and people, to say, hey, I would love to 
help someone else get counseling. I've been afforded the help that Caris House provides. Maybe I can help one other person. So even small gifts uh, make a huge difference. You can definitely go to our website and read more about our mission. Um, but that's, that's the sort of thing that we're doing. Now, our future hope is to have Caris House on this side of the river. Um, and mm-hmm. so yep. as far as your involvement in that, um, giving time, um, volunteering, that sort of thing is huge. A lot of you guys know Dan uh, because he's Dan, one of your, why don't you stand Dan, up? There's Dan. Stand up, Dan. Yeah, Dan. I mean, uh, if you guys know, Dan Free is one of our one of our elders. Um, he he quit a very very secure, well paying job at Monsanto, the evil empire, to um, <laughs> to go to 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 Covenant to get his counseling degree. He's just finishing up all the coursework um, and moving into the the kind of that, I don't know what you call this phase, but the uh, resident type. He's got to do a ton of counseling uh, before he can get legally licensed. And so um, anyway, Dan is has been um, part of our dream, really, and been dreaming with us about what it looks like to bring Kara's house to the Metro East. Um, and we've been working on this for years. And, and I think God's honestly been kind of incubating this. And at the right time, man, I see this thing really coming coming together. But if you have questions about Karis House um, or about counseling, Dan is a great resource. So Dan, I just added a bunch of conversations to your plate. But that's the sort of stuff he loves to talk about, honestly. And so, and Dan um, just finished a full year internship with us at Karis and is going to be joining us. Yeah, is that the plan? Did you sign the thing? All right. <laughs> <laughs> so Dan, yeah, Dan, Dan signed the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Dan signed the thing. I love it. He didn't read the fine print, thankfully. (laughs) (laughs) No, but Dan will be doing some counseling hours over on this side of the river and as well as on our side of the river. So, yeah, definitely talk to him. Next to him is Christy Wakefield. A lot of you guys know Christy. Stand up, Christy. Yeah, Christy. (laughs) So a lot of of you uh, see a familiar face in Christy. She's been around on this side. She's an Illinois girl. She's from Mm -hmm. Illinois. And has been involved here in the past. So mm-hmm. Christy's also one of our counselors, and she'd love to talk to you afterwards. We'll be around. So, yeah, Christy is uh, a, a longtime partner with Trailhead, part of our family. Um, she recently started a ministry called uh, Rayo, which is walking with um, people with eating disorders. Is that right? All right, we won't ask you to unpack more because I didn't. I didn't warn her. Um, but God's been doing incredible things in partnership with Karis House. Um, and, uh, and we're just really excited about that. Joel, thank you for coming up here, man. Um, I'll go ahead and have you go ahead and take your seat and, and, and guys, here's where we're going with this. Um, my goal this morning was to kind of give you, um, if we can get some guys to get these chairs out here, um, to give you guys a glimpse into Karis House Ministry. I know for many of you, you've heard of it, but you had no idea what it was. Many of you have gone, um, and I wanted to give you a glimpse into really the, the blood the life, the calling that God um, used to ultimately make this ministry even possible. And so we have a great privilege of partnering together with, with Karis House. We're going to be taking a special offering. Um, the lion's share of that offering is going to Karis House. We're going to use some of it to help us fund short-term missions over the summer with our students that are going to be traveling. Um, but here's the thing. Um, I want you to give and give generously. Pray about how God is going to use your gift and, and, and just, you know, 
Um, get excited about it. Here's the thing. God loves cheerful givers, right? And, and so as we move forward, giving joyfully and sacrificially, God uses that to change our hearts, to free us in beautiful ways, and then equip the church to move forward in the power of the gospel. Now, if you're not prepared for the offering this morning, it's all right. We're going to receive this offering until the end of, of this month, right? Until the end of, of May. And so if you're not able to bring the offering this morning, um, you, can, you can get it to us anytime before the end of May. All you need to do is market special offering, and it'll go into the same pool, and, and it'll, be, it'll be used to fund um, uh, our partnership with, with these two areas, okay? All right, let me pray for us, and then our ushers will come forward and take our offering, um, and then we'll share communion to wrap it up as we worship God, um, the God who, who ultimately has worked to free us and to bless us through um, the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son. So let me pray for us, and uh, we'll take our offering. Father God, I thank You that um, You are good and, and glorious and gracious and great, that you are all the things we crave and need. And that even though our sin, our rebellion has alienated us from you, even though we have believed lies about you and told lies about you, you have in humility reached out to us. You didn't wait for us to earn our way back to you. You came to us in the person of Jesus. You lived the life we should have lived and then died the death we deserve to die and rose again that we might be completely forgiven and ultimately made new. And so we thank you that in everything we're talking about, the foundation of our joy and the foundation of our hope is Jesus. And as we give this morning, Lord, I pray that we will be moved by your grace to deep gratitude. And from that place of deep gratitude, our hearts will be released to generosity so that we can experience anew the beauty of grace. So Father, bless this church. Bless Karis House as they continue to develop these partnerships. Um, Bless us as we seek to continue to impact this community with your love um, to see lives changed by the good news of Jesus. So for your glory and for our good, because you are good and great and gracious and glorious. Bless this. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our ushers will come forward and take our offering.